You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey, y'all, it's Bridget here. I sat down with Frankie Marshall, the extraordinary mixologist, educator for the BNIC for the country of France. Listen, she knows all about cognac. She is a true expert. And she tells us all about cognac's culture, how it's made, how she enjoys it in a cocktail. And she even sings for us because, y'all, she's also an entertainer. So grab your favorite cognac cocktail and let's start the show. Frankie, welcome to the Served Up podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Well, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, how are you? You know what? I'm doing fairly well. I I think I can't really uh, complain about. It. I think I've been pretty uh, fortunate considering everything going on. So yeah, I feel pretty generally pretty positive. Yeah. Yeah. Where are you hunkering down today? Where are you? I am in the most glamorous downtown Brooklyn. Uh, literally hunkering down in a, in a below level apartment. <laughs> I should say it's a parlor. It's a parlor. A parlor. Exactly. So it's a parlor very level. fancy. It's very, very fancy. I love it. Yeah, darling, um, yes. Are you from Brooklyn? You know what? I'm not quite. Um, I've moved around a lot and I've been in Brooklyn for a long time for X amount of years, as they say. Um, but yeah living downtown here for a, a very long time so yeah. yeah i feel like i'm i'm definitely brooklyn yeah, and all the def- best you're definitely a local yes yes a loca local that's what they call <laughs> it. when you um what what inspired you to enter the the beverage community we all love you so much and so are so are um so happy that you're part of the community but what brought you here well, first of all, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, love to be loved. Um, you know what? I, 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 I wish it were a grand inspiration, but to be honest with you, it was uh, money. Originally, it was just making money to help, you know, pay for school. So, I mean, actually, I started before in the like late high school-ish uh, working in the industry. Um, so yeah, it was always that kind of need to have more money. And that was one of the easier ways when I first started, <laughs> you know, just to, you know, go get a restaurant job and make some extra cash because it was all cash in those days. So, um, so yeah, that was the original inspiration. Uh, but then, you know, getting into the cocktail world was a whole other thing. So. Well, how did that happen? Yeah. It just, how was, what was your transition? Yeah. Just uh, honestly, it was reading about. You know, I'd worked in all kinds of places, literally, you know, like the dive bars, the nightclubs, the restaurants, the fancy restaurants, the neighborhood places. Um, and then I was reading about this cocktail world, this new thing with, uh, you know, fresh ice and fresh juices. 
um, or I should say, you know, like nice ice and fresh juices. And that was a, you know, coming from a place where it's, you know, using like fuzzy storm pours, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and all the chip eyes and, and just all the, the well, you know, the Georgie vodka in the well, that kind of thing or whatever that was. Um, so yeah, it was really intriguing to me and I wanted to learn. I've always been interested in learning and getting better at things. And so, yeah, I just thought, well, let me try that then. Yeah. What was your first opportunity? Like, where was your introduction to the cocktail world? Was it in Brooklyn? It was, was it in the the city of New York or? Yeah. I mean, first, um, I I mean, I will say I had been making a lot of vodka cocktails before that, uh, in previous places. I actually worked at a place where we had an extensive vodka menu. It was literally just, I'd say we had an extensive cocktail menu and it was all the different flavors of vodka. I remember we used to have the raspberry, the papars, the, you know, the currants and all that stuff. So, so I was making cocktails before, but I didn't know about the world of, you know, pre-prohibition or anything like that. So um, I was applying off of Craigslist as one does. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And how did that go? (laughs) Was it legit, first of all? <laughs> you know what? I, Craigslist has always been a gamble, but it was, there were a few b- notable bars that were advertising on Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember applying uh, to a few places anonymously. And then one place, it actually had Julie Reiner's name in it, and it was Clover Club. Mm-hmm. And I'd read, ab- I'd read about her. Um, actually, I heard of her, I think, on a, on a radio show, someone's radio show. I think it was the radio guy or the restaurant guys maybe or something. Um, and I thought, honestly, I looked at that ad and I went, I, I have to apply there. Um, after being rejected, mind you, at a bunch of other places. And I didn't know why at the time I was being rejected because I had a good resume of experience, but that finding out later, of course, that I didn't have the cocktail bar experience. And then, yes. So I wrote this, you know, kind of, uh, what should I say, an, an elaborate cover letter, you know, saying that I knew all about, you know, choosing the proper ice for drinks, which of course I didn't, but I'd read that. <laughs> it sounded good. So, um, and they called me, Julie and Susan called me, had an interview with them. And um, it, that went really well. And I said, I'll bar back, you know, I don't care. I'll, you know, and she said, no, I think I'll, you know, we can put you on the floor. So yeah. So I started there as a server. So cocktail server. Yeah. That's, would you say then like Julie and Sue were maybe like your first real introductions to the cocktail world or your first role models or maybe even mentors? Yeah, I, they were definitely my first. I mean, I'm so grateful to them for welcoming me in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'd had a little bit of experience before that, like seeing the cocktail world. I'd actually been to, I think, had I been to Milk and Honey before then? I think I'd been to Milk and Honey before then once okay. and kind of saw how things could go. Um, and then, but, but yeah, they were definitely my first intro to like the real world and seeing how it worked, you know, and seeing what was possible. Uh, cause I didn't know that all of those things were possible. You know, I didn't know, I did not know what I didn't know. Do you know what I mean? There was such I a, vast, yeah. So that was really the first kind of, oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. That, that reminds me so much of like when I first met Tony Abaganam. Yes. You know, and that was in, oh my God, 1998 at the Bellagio. I remember hearing him speak and I was like, I want to be just like him. I didn't know any of this stuff. I didn't know. I didn't know we're supposed to put fresh stuff into cocktails and make it taste delicious, you know? 
And now I'm excited about it. And now I haven't shut up about it in over 20 years. Right. <laughs> you which, know? Is, which is really incredible. And I know you've been a mentor to a lot of people, you know, everywhere and, and, and particularly in Chicago. So, I mean, kudos to you for that. Well, thank you very much, Miss Frankie. <laughs> yeah, of course. You're welcome. Um, yes. I, I, sorry, I've just said quickly on the Tony Abuganam uh, tip. Um, yeah, he, he was actually, he consulted and opened a place here. I think it was called Bar Milano. From yeah, it was. Yes. 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 I, I went yeah. there a few times. Well, did you? Well, so yes. I applied there and it was just before I was going on a long trip to Asia and I had a really great interview with him. And I remember that was actually the first time I'd, I'd done tests before. They used to test you a lot here in New York. Um, and that was the most, it was like three pages of, you know, describing like how you make gin, the difference between, the difference between gin and vodka. And he'd written this test. And I remember thinking, oh my God, because usually I used to ace those tests. But this one was really hard. And I had an interview with him. And uh, he said, you know, I'd hire you if you weren't going away. I don't even know mm -hmm. why I was applying when I was going away, but <laughs> who knows? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I thought I'd, think, I thought I'd get a job that, that someone sure. could save me the job. But it was so that, so I'd actually met Tony way back then as well. Oh, that's really cool. I remember that bar. My gosh, that's a blast yeah. from the past. That's yeah. And he was so lovely and he was, yeah, really wonderful. Yeah. He's been consistently the same human yeah. over the years, over the past 20 yeah. years. It's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. So you and I share the same affection for the category of cognac. Aha. Sure. Um, yeah. Can you tell our listeners what cognac is? Uh, yeah, for sure. Cognac is actually, well, actually cognac is three things. Cognac is a spirit. Cognac is a town. And cognac is a region as well. So it's actually many things to many people. But the actual spirit of cognac, it's uh, distilled white wine. Um, yes, yeah, so made from uh, primarily Uni Blanc grapes and uh, all coming from that region of the Charente and Charente Maritime in the region of Cognac. Oh, you say that so much better than I do. <laughs> Your beautiful accent. <laughs> beautiful. Uh, where did your affection for this category come from? You know, I don't even know anymore. I, I've always, I don't know, I, I was always kind of attracted to cognac drinks on a menu whenever I saw them mm -hmm. for some reason. And again, you know, coming up in, 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 in bars and restaurants, there was usually only one or maybe two cognacs on the back bar. Um, but yeah, for, and I just started to... Uh, uh, just become interested in them. I think mainly because it was something different that you didn't see that often. Um, and then uh, I entered a competition, a cocktail competition. Actually, it was with the tales of the cocktail. The, I was I was a cap. This is so hard to say, but it was the cap cocktail, the cap cognac cocktail competition. <laughs> I, yeah, it, it was just for the caps, and I entered that in uh, 2012. And, um, and I ended up winning that hmm. and uh, yes. And my prize was a trip to the region. So that was my, actually it would have been my second time in the region, but my first real introduction to cognac and seeing it over there. And so I got to go in 2013. Um, yeah. And that put me on the radar of the BNIC and, um, and that kind of, you know, that's when the journey started to really snowball after that. 
Can you tell our listeners a couple things? Like one, what is what is CAP? Because maybe yes, they have, maybe they're not even familiar with Tales of the Cocktail. And I, then also, um, what the BNIC stands for? Right. So the, the the CAP program is part of. So Tales of the Cocktail is a cocktail conference that happens in New Orleans every year. It's been happening, well, except for this year, but it's happened for about I think say twelve. I think it's about twelve years old or fourteen. Yeah. Um, and the CAP program stands for the Cocktail Apprentice Program. And the Cocktail Apprentices are the people who work to, to batch all of the drinks and serve them out for, for the week of, of tales. They do a lot more than that, but um, that's kind of the, the, the short version. So, um, so yeah, I did that actually for three years. And the CAP program is still, it's helped to uh, really, like, you know, introduce a lot of people to, to, to the industry and you get to meet a lot of people while you're doing that. It's hard work, but it's... Uh, it really pays off. Just the, just the networking alone, right? Oh my God. Yeah. Like the networking alone. Definitely. I mean, I met so many incredible people through that because yeah, it's your intro because you're already there and you get to, you know, they can work alongside of these, uh, the, these really, um, industry luminaries. No, not to mention making honestly lifetime friendships like our friend Kyle McHugh there. He was, he was a cap also. That's, that's where I met Kyle. And people, yeah. you know, like people, a lot of Chicago people, like DDO and, oh. and yes, who's, you know, you're a huge fan. You're number one fan. Well, maybe number two after your husband, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. He's kind of <laughs> like, DDO's like my son. So right. there you go. <laughs> hey, DDO. Yeah, for hey. sure. <laughs> so, um, and so anyway, and the BNIC is a Bureau National Interprofessionnel de Cognac. And they are basically... Um, a group that's um, like almost like a, I want to say like a governing body of, of cognac. It's comprised of um, producers and some lay people as well. And they basically um, advocate for the category as well as help to establish um, uh, rules and regulations. Yeah. For, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. So with that, you know, I know that you are an educator for the BNIC and how did that come to be? Well, um, so as, as far as being an educator, so as I was saying, I, I won the comp, I went over there, and then I came back, and it was actually randomly, I was in Portland, I was at uh, Tasty and Sons have, uh, having brunch, <laughs> and uh, a couple of the people who worked for the agency that represents the BNIC uh, at the time, represented them at the time, were coming out of Tasty and Sons, and one gentleman, I have to call him out, Bertrand Blanchet. He said, he's like, oh my God, aren't you Frankie Marshall? Uh, and in between like trying to scoop up my, uh, my toast, whatever. He, uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I saw that you won that thing and blah, blah. He said, why don't you apply to be a cognac educator? And I went, oh, you know, mouthful. <laughs> I kind of went, oh, no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and uh, so that was October. And then he didn't follow up again until like December. And it was a week before the, the application was due. And he said, oh, you, you need to get this in this week. And I went, ah. So I filled out the application, I applied, and I got accepted. And then, yeah, so 2014, I headed off to France again, and uh, yeah, did the program. And uh, you know, you, as you know, you what year did you do it, Bridget? Oh my gosh, I don't remember. I would honestly, God, have to look back. It's right. I'd maybe a decade yeah. ago, a while yeah. back. Yeah, right. Because I think well, the program this year is 10 years old. So then, I think. Hmm. Maybe I was like class number, the second class to go through. Right. Okay. Yeah. So maybe. So yeah, I mean, it was a great experience. So for, for those of you who don't know the Cognac Educator Program, it's, they take 
applicants from all over the world. So my year, there are about, I think, 12 to 15 of us. And you spend, yeah, I think we got there on a Sunday. So you spent Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, kind of, you know, visiting cognac houses. Um, and then there's classroom time and you just learn all about it. That's your chance to ask all the questions. And as I said, really pull back the curtain on the, on the category. Then you have a t an exam and you do a presentation and then with all luck, then you become your, you know, a certified cognac educator. Yes. And what, what does that do for you as a professional, you know, having that credentials? And I know it's hard work to do. I mean, you do have to go all the way to France, first of all. And Don't, there's a lot of learnings. Yes, yes. I mean, going to France, oh, it was so taxing. I know, it's <laughs> awful. <laughs> so, um, it, honestly, it's done a lot for me. Um, so since 14, uh, that the year I came right back and I immediately... Uh, the BNIC asked me to come over, go back to France and, and work for Cocktail Spirits to do, uh, to work their cognac booth. So that was great. And since then I've, they've, um, uh, you know, engaged me to do a lot of, a lot work, whether it's education, I've gone to different cities to do education or, you know, making cocktails or, you know, I'm just speaking about the category um, as well as everything from, you know, doing various press and events, that kind of thing. So it's opened a lot of, definitely opened a lot of doors and quite frankly given me quite a bit of work and um and of course once you're an educator you have that credential to go out on your own and teach whoever you want about cognac or you know do whatever you'd like with that really as long as you're promoting the category and they really do keep up with you i mean we have you know a facebook group and we get regular emails about what's what's happening and there's discussion and that kind of thing. So, and that's another wonderful um, group to be a part of, you know, these cognac educators, because they are really around the world. And there's a lot of great people from, uh, you know, some bar industry people, some uh, just other uh, educators to people who, you know, own their own wine shops and liquor stores, that kind of thing. So it's a real mixture. mixture. Yeah, it is. It's a great yeah. network to be. It's a great family to be part of. Um, yes. How do you think the cognac... Um, culture is perceived here in the u.s and and why you know yeah uh how is cognac culture perceived i think there's it's a mixed bag i think there's certain people who only got introduced to cognac via um say you know like music and like some hip-hop videos and that kind of thing there's that and there are other people who are introduced to it um you know uh via this this the tweed jacket wearing snifter set yes <laughs> who, yes who just had cognac you know by the fireplace after a meal um and then there are other people so and there's cocktail bartenders who are introduced you know through uh, you know french 75s and sidecars but nothing else you know so there's a, a few different factions and um uh, and I think, you know, it's interesting because with other spirits, I think people tend to go into the, the backstories a little bit more in the history. And I think with cognac, people don't realize the history of it. You know, the fact that, you know, the first cognac house was established in 1643. You know, this is not something that just started being made in, you know, the 80s. Right, right. 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 So, um, and, and, and these people that are making cognac, you know, they're not all... Uh, I mean, there's this perception with certain people that cognac is this almost like elitist spirit. You know, it, it costs a lot of money and you need to be, you know, either like sitting around with a model, popping a bottle of it, or you're, you know, um, again, 
just uh, drinking in some kind of hallowed institution. And mm-hmm. of course, that's not the case. You know, the people that have been making cognac for these hundreds and hundreds of years, often their families, the traditions that have passed down through families, and they're, they're, they're working people, you know, some of them are just, uh, they're, they're working their fields or they're, you know, it, it's, it's a difficult spirit to, to, to make in the sense that it takes a lot of time. And, you know, with, with grapes, like any other harvest, it, it's weather dependent, it's dependent on the year, you never know what you're going to get. I mean, there's just so many factors that go into that people don't, don't consider. And I think that that's, that's a shame. And that's something that we as educators um, and advocates for the category um, are trying to make people realize, you know, like dig a little deeper, you know, there is a backstory here. Right. There definitely is a backstory and it's a, and it's a beautiful backstory and every brand really has their own, just like, you know, when we're talking about bourbon, for instance, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. You know, there it's, it's basically, you know, families over generations that have been making this beautiful spirit. You know, one of, one thing I do want to ask you, so I don't forget is that, you know, how can we as a community continue to elevate and bring awareness to this category much like mezcal, you know, mm-hmm. meaning that the community really embraced that category, yes. ran with it, everybody loves it, and we're not yeah. quite there yet with cognac. And I would really love to hear from you, you know, why is that and what can we be doing better? Uh, well, that's, I don't, that's not an easy one to answer. And, you know, I do think your mezcal example is very interesting the way you know the communities just rallied completely behind it and I think part of that again is because this the stories of the families have been told a lot you know and because of people have this real affection I think for Mexico I think you know more of more people have visited say Mexico than they have you know France do you know what I mean? It's kind of, it's, it's easier to get to, it's a little cheaper to get to, you know, it's more accessible. So I think that may be part of it as well. Um, I mean, and people go to Paris, but you know, they don't necessarily go to, you know, Paris to drink cognac as, right. as you might go to Mexico and have some mezcal or tequila. So, um, but I think that, you know, again, having people taste it as much as possible and, and, and realizing that, it's an accessible spirit and it, it, it is seasonal. You know, you don't just have to drink it in the winter. <laughs> as a matter of fact, it's really great in a, in a long drink in the summertime. And I think that, you know, as, especially as bar people, uh, you know, that's easy for us to do, you know, with when we talk to our guests, you know, or even now educating people, you know, across a Zoom um, or via Zoom. So um, again, it's about really demystifying it. And, you know, and, and, you know, mixing it in, with it in different ways. And again, getting to know that backstory and, and sharing that story um, and about the region, you know, and about the people, you know, really, you know, getting, getting the, 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 the people involved in it, you know, like showing the, the stories of the, the people making the cognac. Absolutely. The farmers even. Yeah. I don't think that, I think that a lot of us here in the U.S. don't realize that there is a huge agricultural component to cognac you know it just doesn't just show up in this beautiful many times you know beautifully um crafted crystal bottle that costs a ton of money it's just put on a back bar in a club there's so much more behind that bottle that uh, that the community you know in cognac france they really do depend on that spirit for their livelihood of course of course again you know like 
like I said, it's, it's, it's a town, it's a region. And most of those people in the, those regions, in that region are, are working in the industry, you know, are touched by it in, in a certain, in a certain way, in some way. So, so absolutely. And again, these are not, you know, rich people sitting around, you know, on their estates, right. <laughs> You know, these are still people, like you said, uh, like farmers working fields, you know, dependent on, um, you know, uh, multiple, sometimes multiple crops, but, you know, definitely dependent upon the, the grapes and the grape harvest. And again, I can't impress enough that, you know, they're so affected by weather, you know, with hail or, or, or frost, that kind of thing that you don't always have, you know, these, these great yields every year, you know, you don't have a great harvest. So, I mean, that plays an enormous effect obviously on on the end product and and the, the um on what they're recouping do you know what i mean and so it's not a guarantee every year that you're actually going to be able to make the amount of of o to v that that you hope to so um and and all i'm trying to get at by saying that is that um you know these it's I, ju- I guess I'm just trying to say that not everyone's just sitting around, you know, on, on bags of money with their, with their cognac, you know, people, no. people think of certain brands, like there's cognac money there. Well, certain brands definitely have cognac money or so many other brands. And there are many other brands outside of the big four or five, mm-hmm. you know, many, many small brands that people have never heard of, um, you know, where you have, again, a small family dependent on, on that brand. So Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about the different farming regions? Because I think that um, many don't even realize that depending on the grapes that come out of the different region really does affect the, the flavor, you know, uh, when, when they're producing cognac. Definitely. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so definitely. I mean, we, so we, we, those growing regions are called cru, cruz. C-R-U-S, and crews can mean different things in different wine regions in France, but for our purposes, a crew is a growing region. So in Cognac, we have six of them. Um, and, and it's kind of, if you look at it, it's almost like a, a dartboard, you know, with the bullseye in the center being an area called the Grande Champagne. And then as we spread out around that, you've got the Petite Champagne. Then we've got a small area called the Borderies. The largest area is called the Fambois. And then we have the, um, the Bonbois, and then the Bois Ordinaire or the Bois à Terroir, they call it. So, yeah, so these regions do yield different style of grapes. So just briefly, you know, kind of in the Grand Champagne, in the Petit Champagne, we have the grapes that are most suitable to, to longer aging. Um, so these, these grapes will show, you know, the real expression after, you know, more than, say, two, four years, you know, and even better after 10 or more. Um, and then when you have the Fambois, that's the largest growing region, those grapes mature faster. Um, and the Fambois, the Bonbois, and the Bois Ordinaire. So you have grapes that are better for blending, or not better for blending, but they're used more in blending. And and for the younger Cognac and the Borderies are generally known for more kind of a, a delicate, more floral um, some people say they have notes of violet or even chestnuts in that area. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the, the short version. And of course, you've got different soils in all of those areas as well. But the primary, primary um, soil type is um, limestone and chalk uh, over some clay, you know. Um, and of course, you've got more sand out towards the, uh, the outer regions where the Atlantic Ocean is. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the short version, I'd say. 
Don't, do you think that cognac, um, you know, just saying all that with the different crews, yeah, um, can be compared just a little bit to like a single malt scotch, for instance, like depending on where you are, what you pull in is what it's going to taste like, right? Um, you have a lot of influence on weather, like you said, mm-hmm. um, you know, what's happening in the barrel, obviously. Um, and then also... Mm-hmm. You know, can you tell us, you mentioned like the, you know, the big five. So you've got, you know, the Cavassiers, for instance, and the Hennessy's and maybe some smaller brands like the Ferrands. Uh, how are they influenced by where they are buying their grapes? You know, when we look like a bigger producer versus a smaller. Okay, so the first, let me start with the second part of that. So with the big houses, yes, the, the top five, you've got the Hennessy, Remy, Cavoisier, um, Martel. And then probably, yeah, Camus after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yes, and then, uh, you know, hundreds of other brands. Um, uh, so there's, it, it depends on the brand. Like some brands, some of those brands definitely have their own, um, their own vineyards. But of course, they can't produce enough. So then they work with um, uh, wine growers to produce, to, to give them either wine and sometimes to give, to give them distilled spirits or distilled eau de vie already that they can then take to blend and age. Um, but because they've been working, well, not a but, but because they've been working with these families for so many years, these growers know like, how to um, uh, d- distill the spirit to the specifications of each of the houses, you know? So, so I think that's very interesting as well. And again, some of these brands work with hundreds hundreds of growers right so they're not just buying from one they're and and again that's the way that they're supporting the you know the the smaller farmers don't forget the yes they're big houses but again by buying constantly consistently from these smaller houses they you know again they're keeping them in uh well they're giving them jobs you know what yes I mean? <laughs> they're keeping their economy going exactly exactly so it is reciprocal um and so, yeah, and again, these brands can buy from, you might buy some, you know, from uh, some uh, farmers in the Fembois, then you might mix that with your, and this actually does happen, you know, you mix that with what you have from the Grand Champagne, uh, you know, certain brands only work within, uh, like say Remy only does Fine Champagne, and Fine Champagne means uh, only coming from the Grand Champagne region and the Petit Champagne, 51% having coming from the Grand Champagne. So Remy only does say Fine Champagne. So they're only buying from those regions, right? Um, So I'm not sure if I answered the question, but um, yeah, sorry, what was the the question? (laughs) (laughs) I think you answered it just fine. Yeah, I I was just curious, I, uh, what you thought about the different regions in which the grapes were growing in, you know, in, in when we're talking about the larger cognac houses, the smaller cognac houses, because it really is the grapes that they purchase or they, or the vineyards that they own within they're very specific about the farming, the different, the different farming areas, the crews, um, because they want that influence in the bottle. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So you're, you know, for instance, say with borderies, there's only a couple of houses of the larger houses that work, that actually have vineyards in that area or who actually buy from that area or who blend in borderies, you know, um, like say Camus does that and Martel, um, 
you know, uses quite a bit of borderese in theirs. Um, but then other brands don't because again, they don't, they're not looking for that profile, right? So it's, it's all about that. And they understand that very well. And that's something that um, is important too, like you're saying, to differentiate and to be able to distinguish. Like I was so happy one day, I was tasting kind of Fembois side by side with Grand Champagne and I could finally distinguish, you know, the, the kind of the, the difference in the flavor profile. You know, and again, with this Grand Champagne, you do get a, more of this kind of backbone and this kind of length. And for me, it's more of a structure with, mm-hmm. um, and with Fembois, it's just this more lively freshness and to be honest with you, I tend to prefer a lot more Fambois cognac. Um, uh, but, but there is a difference. And, and I think that that's really important too, because there's certain other, uh, there's certain categories that, that um, or certain people who kind of knock cognac a bit because they think, oh, you know, all cognac tastes the same. But, you know, they haven't tasted around enough. Do you know what I mean? They haven't tasted these, perhaps these smaller houses or these, you know, these renegade producers who are doing things differently. And that's also what I find exciting as well in the category, that there are some younger producers now who are veering away from tradition and doing their own thing. You know, so, um, so that's an exciting development as well. But I wanted to get back to something you said about um, the scotch. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's, it's not either or, but I would say that, um, and I've asked a couple of producers about this. With, like, say, with scotch, I don't think that the end result is so dependent on their raw material you know i don't think that there's a sense of terroir with their barley you know as far as like where they're getting it from um that kind of thing so and that's the difference i think with say because you brought up the the scotch absolutely Um, you know um with with cognac you know it's dependent perhaps not so so much on the grapes because most of cognac is using uni blanc um but definitely the terroir is very important. And I will say I have been lucky enough to taste some single variety uh, Montille and some Folle Blanche and maybe even some Colombard, which, is a, which are a few of the other grapes that are allowed in Cognac. And there's not that much of it, but when you do taste it, it's incredibly different and it's amazing to taste. And I wish I had more of that. <laughs> I, w- I wish we could have some right now. <laughs> right, yeah. Do do, do the French drink cognac? Um, you know, it, not as much as one would think. Um, I think in the cognac region, they definitely do. And they you'd probably find it in at first in a, in a highball, in a long drink, like with, say, ginger. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes cognac tonic. Um, and definitely, you know, they're, they're, they're drinking it neat as well but not as much kind of around around the country although that has started to change you know I liken it to um you know kind of where we were with bourbon and rye yeah yeah I mean I I don't even want to say more than 10 years ago maybe 10 12 years ago you know it it kind of started to pick up with mad men and you know people wanting to drink old fashions that kind of thing but before that you know for many years it was a grandfather you know or grandmother's spirit right you don't touch that that's uh, that's the old right right so i I feel like in cognac and anecdotally i've heard that that was kind of the case as well you know it was like uh you know meme and grandpapa were drinking that stuff so we won't touch it (laughs) but um i mean thank goodness for again like a younger generation of bartenders who um, you know, there was that bar that still exists, you know, Le Syndicat in, mm-hmm. in Paris that started 
well, when it opened, and I think they still do use only French products and French spirits, you know, in places like that, that really championed, you know, the local, local products, <clears throat> local liquids. Yeah, I, I can tell you the first time I went to France, gosh, I think it was like in 2005. And I couldn't believe how the first time I went to Paris, you know, I'm like, where's all the cognac cocktails? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to these bars. I'm like, I don't see any yeah like none not even a darn sidecar i'm like what is going on no i don't want a red bull and vodka yeah, paris? yeah. i really don't want that paris with yeah. no ice mm, yeah. no way. <laughs> i'll pass yeah, <laughs> we'll get exactly. a bottle of champagne instead you know what right. the heck what's going on yeah. and so it is good to see them maybe embrace and take pride yeah in their spirit because it is beautiful and it's yeah. not easy to make and can we talk just a little bit about how they project you know, how something's going to taste maybe 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you know, what is, what does that process looks, look like? Because for me, I think that that's really fascinating on how they are really able to keep um, their liquid very consistent, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That is, you know, it is pretty fascinating. Um, uh, I really just admire and, 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 am in awe of these master blenders, the maître de chez, you know, who really can, you know, take this eau de vie, just right, you know, after your second distillation, you know, right off the still and decide that, okay, this stuff is going in, this is going to be a young cognac, this is going to be a VS, we're going to put it in this type of barrel for this amount of, you know, uh, in this type of cellar, and then this you know, this eau de vie over here is going to go into this type of barrel, and this is going to be our, our our XO, you know, or XXO now, or our VSOP. And it's pretty incredible that they can, you know, and that's, they do that all, like most of that through tasting, you know, it's about tasting and, and then the art of blending, you know, blending the younger with the older or the, you know, the, the mid range or the middle, you know, when I say mid range, I mean, you know, something that's been aged for say four, six years. Um, and it's just an incredible exercise in, in blending and, I hate, to, I almost hate to use this term because it, it sounds like marketing, but it really is about know-how, you know, yeah. or the savoir-faire. Um, and again, passed down through generations. Um, sure, the distillation you can do, you know, with a computer these days, but the, the blending, you, you, you can't, Right. you know, so it's about tasting and it's really about having that knowledge. Um, you know, and again, we're talking about something that, you know, a minimum of two years aging, right? So you're, you're sitting on that and you're waiting for it. And then your VSOP is another, it's four years. And then your EXO, it's 10 years, right? And they've got the newer category now, XXO, which is 14 years. So we're, t you know, this is a, a, a waiting game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I thought about, could I ever make contact? I don't think so because I'm too impatient, you know, and it's, you know, as a lot of ma master blenders say, they're not making cognac for themselves. They're making it for the next generation, you know? So. Is being a master blender something that is passed down through families? Do you see it generational? Um, I, it depends. I would say there's certain houses that are certain families like the Fiyus, for instance, mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying I know them well. I've, I've met um, um, a couple of the, the gentlemen there. Um, but the, the few family traditionally had been making blending for, for Hennessy for, for years and years and years. For, mm -hmm. like, so that's one family um, that I know of where it was really kind of passed down. But now it's really just, I mean, there's a lot more different people and a lot more women and master female master blenders for sure and that's not new they've been around mm -hmm. for for you know 
years now, but I'll, you know, a lot younger people coming into it. Um, so I think it really depends a lot. It depends. Um, but I will say what's cool is more families are, you know, when it started out, families used to make cognac for other bigger houses, you know, but now, I shouldn't say now, but over the years, they started making their own, which is exciting, you know, so they could, you know, bottle this cognac under their own name, as well as supply to the big houses to keep that income to, you know, finance their own production. So I think that's great. I'd love to see more of that. I would too. I like to, I like what you just said, you know, seeing a lot of the younger generation, you know, yeah. really stepping in and stepping up and creating cognac. I mean, who knows, maybe it'll become like craft beer. <laughs> Well, you'll see see a bunch of houses popping up. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's definitely, you know, the like uh, uh, Fanny Fougeras, Bourgoin, you know, Jackie Navarre, the Philbert brothers, you know, and and on and on and on. And I, I, sorry, I shouldn't even have started naming because now, of course, I've left out a bunch of people, but um, they, they, they're doing some really interesting and really cool things. And there's, remember, there's, you know, as much as I love cognac and believe in the AOC, there are people who are making, you know, eau de vie who, that don't adhere to the, the traditional cognac rules, and they're still making beautiful brandy as well. So, Absolutely. What, yeah. what about, I know that you and I, we, we've both been to France multiple times and yeah. have sat through some pretty beautiful dinners that yes. <laughs> go on for hours. Hours. <laughs> and hours. Yes, yes. What do you think about pairing cognac with food and what do you think is appropriate and how do you do it? Well, it's so, first of all, I love those dinners and I, you can hold me captive at a, at a French dinner any, any time. Me too. Um, (laughs) But yes, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because cognac absolutely does go with food. Um, The thing, things to look out for, uh, like frozen cognac is a thing. You can put your VSOP or VS in in the freezer, and and pair it say with with seafood, like with oysters, and again, like you know, for anyone who's had frozen, say say vodka, um, you know, there's a reason why people keep it in the freezer, um, because when you take it out, when you go to drink it, the the the, the liquid becomes kind of um, more viscous and you've got some more body and the perception of the alcohol is lowered. So um, that's actually a wonderful way to drink your cognac as well. And uh, so, yeah, I'd like VS with, you know, like seafood. I've had lovely um, pairings with kind of raw, raw fish and, and young VS expressions. And then with VSOPs, you can start, I mean, anything from like roast duck to like a blue cheese to, uh, you know, just more of the, the savory kind of, um, I guess, like charred, charred foods. Um, and then, you know, XO's, XO with most desserts is, is an easy pair. Um, but, you know, there's a cognac app, a uh, food pairing app that you can download um, as well. So if you have any uh, questions about that, go get the app. <laughs> well, tell, tell them what the app is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's this cognac food pairing app. It, actually, if you go to um, um, cognac point f uh, cognac dot f um dot fr or cognac. Um, oh my god, I've got to actually look up the uh, the proper website now. I just forgot exactly what it is, but um, but yeah, there's a cognac website and um. It's actually culture cognac. I think it's culturecognac.com. 
that's where you can get the uh, the app and like food pairing ideas and all all of that kind of thing. I love that because you know I think that and tell me if I'm wrong, but I know when I first started bartending was well well over 20 years ago. Yeah. And I remember I would get so excited when somebody yeah. ordered cognac because I knew I was going to probably get a big tip because, you know, what, can you even guess what they would order? Uh, wait, the cognac? Just Yes. Um, oh, you mean what brand? Yes. Oh, Hennessy. Uh, well, they'd order Hennessy or they would want like the Louis or, you know, something that was oh, Louis so oh. expensive. Like, I just want the best and this was over 20 years ago. And then yeah. I'd run in the back, honest to God, and I'd take yeah. the coffee pot yeah, and I'd get the hot water lever and yeah. heat up, heat up that snifter so hot it would burn my hands <laughs> and then put that hundred dollar shot of cognac in it so proudly and put it <laughs> and just praying for that big tipper. Right. Yeah. And then, I'm thinking I'm giving the best service in the world on the planet by doing this. <laughs> Um, can you tell me how things have changed? <laughs> oh my God. Well, things have changed a lot. I will say that people actually now will order cognac cocktails without prompting, which is wonderful. Um, I, I still, there is sometimes still a hesitation. Um, I had the last bars running, I had cognac cocktails on the menu and I remember a woman came in and she said, can I have this? It was a French 75. She said, can I have this but with gin? Cause I want it to be, you know, lighter she said i wanted to be you know and i said listen just taste it i'll make it for you taste it. if you don't like it i'll drink it you know yeah. there's still a little bit of that um misconception out there but for the most part people were just really into drinking these cocktails and and open to to the discussion about them you know and um i will say and also people are more interested in tasting different styles which is really exciting, you know, now to see. So, and again, I think a lot of the, you know, different bartenders around who've actually put all these cocktails on their menu. Cause I think for a lot of people, that's the good gateway. That's, that's the entry way for people, for consumers in particular, you know, cause they might not say, we're not at the point where people are going, you know, like the way someone would say, give me a scotch rocks or, you know, bourbon rocks. They're not quite saying, give me a cognac rocks, right. but but they're, you know, they'll have it in their cocktail, you know, and then maybe kind of open the door to, yeah, having it neater on the rocks. You know? Yeah. So I think back in the day, it was like a status thing, you know, you right. See this yeah. really expensive bottle of cognac on the back bar and then, you know, having this super hot snifter in your hand and right. kind of a show off move. And now yeah. I, I feel like <laughs> yeah. at least in Vegas, it was okay. Right. And so, yeah. Sure. Now, now, you know, for someone like yourself to say, Hey, it's, guess what guys, it's refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. You can drink it with ginger ale. You can maybe yeah. have it in a fresh sour, you know, um, it doesn't have to be so pretentious. It, it's actually a beautiful spirit made by beautiful people. That's yeah. del delicious. Yes. And you know, if we get rid of some of those snifters and bring in the tulip glasses, that would even be better. Wouldn't that be yeah. amazing? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, cause you know, not only are they, they better for the, you know, getting the kind of, um, the aromas to your old factories, but they're also, they, they look, they don't look as heavy and wintry as a snifter does, you know, for a lot of people, snifter says winter time and, you know, warm the mm -hmm. spoon in your head, but you know, if you've got this beautiful tulip that you're delicately, you know, twirling around your fingers, 
that that's a, a nice look and a nice, just a better way to drink it, I feel. But again, drink whatever out of what it, whichever glass you'd like. Just keep yeah. drinking it. Just keep drinking cognac. What is, just, um, <laughs> just keep drinking it. Yeah. What's um, something that you wish people knew about the category that's probably not talked about so much? Um, well, aside from the things that we, we mentioned that, you know, about the, the history and the, the connection with the, the people, um, I'd say again, the seasonality, you know, and just the versatility, I should say, you know, you that the, yeah, the versatility, because there really is a wide range of styles. Um, and again, there's so many, so many people that I've heard, like the naysayers always want to say, you know, ah, it just tastes like this, you know, it, it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, there's just a range, there's you know, every, anything from, you know, unadulterated cognac to, you know, undiluted to, uh, you know, just, just a variety of styles. And you just have to find them, you know, they are out there. And, you know, and, you know, special note to all those importers, like start importing, you know, cognac from different areas, you know, from go find those smaller producers, I'll help you. If you there need you it. go. You hear that? <laughs> yes. I Frankie will. will help you. Exactly. I will go and find them <laughs> once everything opens up again. Yes. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're definitely out there. It's just a matter of getting them here, you know, getting them here into the U.S., you yeah. know, and getting them into people's hands and people's in bars, that kind of thing. So I think that's been part of the issue is that we tend to get the same things over and over. So kudos to those importers who are trying to bring in new things, but we need more. We need more of that. Yeah, we absolutely do. Can you, yeah. can you tell us what the difference is between um, cognac and brandy? Uh, well, well, cognac is a brandy, but it has to come from the certain region in France, which, which is the Charente or Charitime um, region. So the cognac, growing regions comprised of those two areas and so the cognac as an eau de vie or a brandy has to come from that region and has it adhere to a certain amount of other rules double distilled using copper pot stills um minimum abv of 40 percent and there's a few other uh rules in there as well um minimum of two years aged in oak uh whereas a brandy of course can be made from any fruit um, but like a, a great brandy can come from anywhere, but to be called cognac, you have to adhere from those rules and come from the designated cognac AOC. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do believe that maybe cognac is one of the most fussiest spirits yeah. <laughs> in, on the planet, right behind tequila. Like I feel like, you know, there are all these rules, yes. so many rules. Yes. Ricky, why are there so many rules? <laughs> <laughs> because the f- French? No, that's what <laughs> I just, there's, I, you know, it's very interesting because part of the reason why a lot of these rules came into play in the first place was to kind of um, uh, put an end to imitation spirits or spirits that were being made in, the, in a similar way, calling themselves the same thing, but not being of this at the same level of quality that you had. So um, having the rules or having this kind of appellation d'origine contrôlée protection um, is actually not just to frustrate people like us who are trying to learn all the rules, but also to protect consumers knowing that once you buy, once you purchase a product or you're drinking a product, enjoying 
something from this region, you know that you're getting something that's made a certain way, that's adhering to a certain level of standards, whether it's hygiene standards or quality standards. So it really, it's really a protection for us as well. Um, that said, <laughs> it's true that cognac is, I mean, again, even just trying to learn about it and have everything just kind of, you know, because I'm a type of person, I just want to, you know, okay, is it this or is it that? And, and a lot of times when you're in Connect, they go, well, you know, it's, it's, it's in, in, in between sometimes. So sometimes it's even get hard to get a straight answer. But yes, they're absolutely rules. And they're just, they're there. I don't know what to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very fussy, folks. That's all. Very, very yes, and, very and delicious. Maybe that's delicious. why it's so fussy. It keeps yes. it delicious. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. And they, you know, they're, they're proud of that. They're proud of those, to those traditions you know um but again there are certain people in the region too who are again there's some of these younger producers who are not quite fighting against those rules but because are just kind of going around and saying okay well i'm just going to do things my own way and so there's that as well so um we have options these days we do we do if, if i was someone who is just being introduced to the cognac category where do i begin you know where do i start Ah, well, you can start by, um, as far as like, you mean the online goes as far as learning about. Yeah. I think like learning about it and maybe, I think that there's probably a lot of folks that are tuning in right now that have never, um, thought about cognac, but maybe now will. So where do they start? Where do we learn about it? And, um, how do we go about, um, mixing it maybe, or what what should we be doing at home with cognac? Okay. Well, first of all, at home you should definitely have cognac at home mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> and you know seasonally think about it seasonally you know um again it doesn't have to be the same bottle all year right and hopefully you can you'll be able to go to your local bar one day or you know speak to your local bartender or bartender friends um who would hopefully know about which way to direct you and would know about how to you can serve your cognac just in case you just wanted a, a quick fix like someone quick to ask um kind of because i always feel like that's what we bartenders are here for to help mm-hmm. you know always educate our guests but online there's like i mentioned the culture cognac website it's like culture.cognac.fr um, and you, you can probably do a slash en after that for the english version but version but if you just go to the the website actually i'm looking at it now you can just click on english there's a lot of information there which talks about not just um cognac rules but again you know kind of the culture like how it's made and there's and it's all short reads you know usually three minutes or under so i think that's a good way again if you just want some like a quick like what is this you know or you can just call me you know or any of the or any of the cognac educators but um you know, that, that is a good question because sometimes, you know, especially when you look at these brand websites, they're not always the most forthcoming with information. And sometimes you have to really have to like scroll through page after page. So um, I really like, um, honestly, what Cognac USA, you know, can follow at Cognac USA on, on Instagram because uh, they put out a lot of, um, you know, cocktails and information and, you know, quick bites as well. So, so that's a good way. That's a good introduction also. Yeah, that's great tips. Do you think that yeah. in your home, if you've never purchased a bottle of cognac or have never tried it before, would you recommend that folks start with a VS and kind of just work their way up through the marks? Uh, again, it depends how you're drinking. You know, mm-hmm. what I would say, 
yeah, if you, if you normally drink your spirits neat, um, and, and if you're kind of like the once a week Saturday night, um, you know, neat drinker, you might want to start with something a little older, um, Mm -hmm. like a, a VS to an XO. But if you're the kind of, you know, just want it to have a versatile cognac to, to sit on your bar cart, um, then yeah, I would definitely go for a, a, a younger expression like a VS. Because um, then you can obviously, you can sip it, but then you can also mix with it as well. You know, you can play around with it a little bit more. I, I know that, I mean, actually a Facebook group, a brandy group, and there's a lot of these whiskey drinkers who are, you know, turned to cognac and they're definitely drinking it a certain way. They're definitely not mixing it. You know, so they're kind of going for the really older, older expressions and that's fine too. So I think it's really, you should decide, you know, how you'd like to drink it at first. And of course there are many ways, uh, maybe you're going to buy two bottles, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then experiment, you know, um, and that's the great thing about us in bars as well. Again, when we can fully go out is that you can go to a bar and experiment, you know what I mean? You can, if yeah. you don't want to, yeah, if you don't want to make the, the jump to invest in the bottle right away. Um, and, you know, we can still, at the moment, depending on where you live, uh, still go out and have a cocktail. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, you know, support your local bar and, you know, go out and order a cognac cocktail and, you know, talk to your bartender. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you should also think about, like, the cocktails that you enjoy regularly. So, like, yeah. if I'm a Manhattan drinker, maybe I would like to try that with cognac. Yeah, You know, just as a just as a beginning point, you know, yeah. or if I like Moscow mules yeah. and maybe I'll try it with cognac just to yeah. see. Yes. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great point. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely try you know, switching the, uh, that base, you know, and just subbing your cognac in there for sure. Absolutely. I love a cognac Manhattan. I have to say. I do too. Um, yeah. The, I always call that a Harvard, although David Wendrich always said the Harvard, you've got to put some soda on it. I, I'm saying, I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know, know about, about that. that. Yeah. <laughs> David, yeah, David, we just say, we don't know about that. Yeah, we <laughs> I'm agreeing with Frankie David. <laughs> but yeah, or cognac julep, of course. Oh yeah, know. that sounds delicious. Yeah, cognac julep for sure. And but the French 75 is always a great gateway. Uh, you know, it's just, a cognac 75 is just, there's no, there's just nothing wrong with that drink. Do you know what I mean? Like anybody no, can enjoy it. That anybody can enjoy it anytime. Can you so, give us your recipe for a French 75? Definitely. So we start with a half ounce of freshly squeezed lemon juice, a half ounce of just one-to-one simple. I do one ounce of VS cognac, so a young two-year-old cognac. And then I give that a nice shake with ice, um, not too much of a heavy shake, and then strain it. You can use a flute. I like to use a coupe for mine. Um, and then I usually put about one and a half ounces of dry sparkling wine on top of that and make sure you integrate it. Just give it a quick little stir, express a lemon twist, and then gently sip away. That sounds so (laughs) good. I can't wait to see you and have one of those with you. Right now, I I know. With the weather changing, you know, I have to say, so you know, I'm located in Southern Illinois and it's yeah. cold outside. Yeah. So one of my favorite cognac cocktails is I love to make um, hot butter batter. Oh. And I love to put cognac in it and make a, ah. a nice hot, you know, hot drink. Yes, yes, yes. That's When it's freezing out and I'm outside shoveling snow, I love it, to come inside and enjoy a hot, <laughs> hot banana buttered cognac. That sounds amazing. Absolutely. That sounds great. 
put a little, or like put cognac in your hot chocolate. You oh my know, gosh, it's so yeah. good. Uh, definitely. Oh my god, anything like anything like that works works so well. Just put it in your tea. Yes. You know, in your in your morning Earl Grey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, <laughs> cognac we're, tastes good with we're, everything, guys. Yeah, we're, yeah, it's true. We're not honestly. We're not just saying it. Try it for yourself. You know, and and see. So it's. Uh, I really do believe it, and that's why I'm so excited working with the category. You know, because it is a category that I really do believe in, and that I. I. It's just I. I'm just so happy about that, you know, oh, yeah. and, and I will say one last thing that I was like to say is that, you know, I became a cognac educator in 2014. And ever since then, cognac uh, sales and exports have slowly crept up year after year after year. And I don't know if that's coincidence or not, but I don't saying. think so. I don't think so. Cause when I think of <laughs> cognac, I definitely think of you. So yeah. I do think that you are the number one ambassador of cognac. <laughs> Period. Amen. I mean, oh, <laughs> really, that's why I wanted to talk with you because you are the yeah. expert more well, than, more than us all. Um, and I know some of that is for, because you do love the French culture. I right? do. I, I do. do. I, well, first of all, thank you for that. And it's not like I know more. It's just that, you know, I, uh, I guess I've been blabbing a bit more than other people, maybe <laughs> a little louder. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know even how that I first went to France when I was 10 years old, mm-hmm. you know, and then I did immersion courses and I lived there for a year. So that, that was just, and definitely this was an extension of it, you know, and definitely being able to speak French helped and has helped a lot. Um, just, you know, getting that little, those little bits of extra insight sometimes with, with producers or, you know, um, or even like reading articles or that kind of thing has definitely been helpful. So, um, so yeah, I've, you know, until this year, I had gone to Cognac about every year for about the last seven years and, mm-hmm. and one year I went twice. So I had a good run there. So I'm hoping, you know, to return next year, but. We'll get yeah. you back there for sure. Yeah. You'll, you'll yeah. go back. I'm going to go, I will go back too. I was supposed to go this year to Paris and, you know, uh, but yeah. say la vie. Yeah, it is right. C'est la vie. That's so true. C'est la vie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What um What are some things that you love to do in France? Like, what really draws you in to that culture? I know what it is for me, but I would love to hear from you because I do feel like once you're in love with that culture, you're done. I mean, yeah. you're toast. <laughs> that <laughs> there's no no other culture will top it. It's just. It's, it's, it's interesting because yeah, immediately, even when I went there as a kid, when I was 10, I remember we were sitting, we went on one of those coach tours of Europe. Kind of thing. Sure. <laughs> I was sitting with my mom, we were sitting on the bus on the Champs-Elysees mm-hmm. and the, the, the kind of the guide, he said, look at, you know, look at this. It's uh, what do he call them? Rubies and diamonds. And it's true because the diamonds were the cars in front of us, the lights of the cars going you know, one way, and the the rubies were the headlights and the cars coming oh from the other direction, and yes. it was jam packed. And I'm sitting there, you know, and my art, my eyes started to twinkle looking at the rubies and the diamonds, and it was such a, it was one of those moments that I'll never forget. But um, yeah, it was always just this. I don't know. It was just, it, it was just this feeling, you know, being over there. And I've always been not only a francophile but kind of a Europhile also, mm-hmm. and um, and you know, it was just that kind of food. It was definitely the food, and it wasn't even about the 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 out the, the drinks at that point. It, you know, um, but it was just this kind of feeling when I was over there. And I have to say, to be fair, I've definitely seen you know France and its 
I mean, I've gone out of the beautiful areas. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I've been in the, you know, the, those, uh, the, the truck stops where people are still, you know, drinking coffee out of those vending machines, yep. you know, and not, not everyone's eating, walking around eating foie gras every day. Mm-hmm. So I've definitely seen that side of it as well. Um, and just, you know, um, you know, my, that year abroad there when I, you know, did my kind of uh, a college year there, that was just one of those, you know, uh, one of those years of firsts of, for so many things for me. And there's a bit of nostalgia, nostalgia tied to that. And mm-hmm. I also feel like with France, it just keeps, there's so many different regions. Oh my that gosh. Unique. Yeah, just yes. unique in different ways, you know. If you, you know, you go to like somewhere like Nice, which is so beautiful as opposed to like Bordeaux, or if you go to like the Languedoc and, mm-hmm. or, you know, Strasbourg where I lived is, you know, just right on the German border. So that's a different thing too. So you just have these areas that just keep on giving in different ways with the food and the culture and the, just the local flavor. So it really is kind of fascinating and just, of course, beautiful, you know, it's just beautiful. So, yeah. No, I, I, I get it. Um, what I, was it for you? For me it was the first time that I went to Paris. It really started with Paris for me. And I, I have some French in me. My mother is Italian and a little bit French, but anyways, oh. I went, yes, I went to Paris and, and, um, I immediately fell in love and felt like I was at home. It was the weirdest yeah. thing because I've only had that feeling here in Shorewood where I live in a very small farming town. Right. And it was terribly crappy out. It was <laughs> raining and windy and just, yeah. you know, marriage. Yeah. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but anyways, um, I remember I was sitting in a cafe and I was alone and I w- just wanted a crepe Suzette. I saw it'd be just the most wonderful day in the world to yeah. sit there like a tourist and order this crepe Suzette. And I did it. And the, the waiter could not get the crepes lit because it was too windy. <laughs> so four other waiters came over, servers, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. They came over and they built a fort around my crepe Suzette out of menus. And people around me, sitting around me, started watching what was happening because it was very comical. You know, they're grabbing it. They were so excited. They're trying to get it lit. They couldn't get it lit. Oh, let's get another menu and build this fort. And then when they did get it lit, everybody exploded in applause. And I was like, I am always going to come here. I want to live here one day. I don't know what just happened, but it was fantastic. So Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, we all have so many of us who have been fortunate enough to go have had those experiences. And again, the last bar I worked at was very uh, French themed. Um, It was called Le Boudoir. And, you know, it was Marie Antoinette. And we'd have people come down there and just reliving these, whether it was their high school French class or just wanting to relive these moments of, you know, wanting to be in France again. So Mm -hmm. it really is pretty fascinating. And of course, when you go there, like these tourists, of course, from all over the world all just, over. who've just like grabbed onto this thing, right? This, this romance. Mm-hmm. So it, when I do think about it, sometimes it's just, it's really incredible. But I remember that feeling too, you know, when you coming in from the airport, you're on that, you know, whatever that bus coming in and, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, your heart starts to beat when you see all the monuments and it's just, mm-hmm. I almost hate to admit it. Cause it sounds like such a, it's just such a cliche, but oh. it's, it's kind of true. <laughs> Girlfriend, I have an Eiffel Tower snow globe. I am not <laughs> shameful. I don't care. Well, I have no see, shame. Do you see that? Do you see my Oh, yes. <laughs> I know. So, but um, yeah. But again, I have to say, though, I've had, I have had some, like, you know, not so great experiences in, in France as well. So it's not all, you know, it's not all like uh, 
truffles and champagne. But no, no, it's not. And I've had those. Ex- <laughs> I have had some of those experiences as well. But you are going to when you step out, right? And you yeah. explore the whole the whole country. For sure. Not for just sure. this this small little slice of heaven when you step yeah. out. Like yeah. absolutely. But even with those situations, like I'm always happy to be there, and I'm always happy to return. And I do feel like it's one country that calls to me. Yes. France yeah. misses me. I need to go. Like, <laughs> that's how I feel. It's like a friend. It's so weird. To yeah, say. right. I feel yeah. that with no other place. Yeah. It's, no. It's, yeah. I, I, I definitely, I understand that for sure. And it, there's, there's parts of France I still haven't been to, you know, I haven't been to like the Alps, the French Alps anyway. Mm-hmm. I've been to the Swiss Alps, but you know, and I haven't been to Marseille in years. I think Marseille is a second city. And, um, so yeah, there's so many, pl- and I've never been in like Normandy. I want to go to, you know, <gasps> Calvados country. Yes. Yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. So there's so many more, time. Right? So many more places to go, but, um, but definitely want to go back to Cognac's SAP. Yeah, me too. Me too. We'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Maybe even together sometime we'll get to go. Ooh, I would love that. It's so much fun. <laughs> Look out. Look out, Cognac. We're coming for you. <laughs> It'll never be the same. I know, right? <laughs> I would love that. I'd love that. Oh, my God. They're getting, um, anyway, that's an aside. They just got a new, well, newish uh, five-star hotel last year, I think, it opened. Mm-hmm. So I haven't seen that yet. And um, I think they're having the Michelin ceremonies happening there next year, if all goes well. So they chose Cognac as uh, like to announce the Michelin um, uh, winners. So that's exciting for them, you know. I'd love it to is. see more, like more kind of year-round tourism there as well. So yeah, because it's a it's a very charming town. And I was going to ask you, you know, before we before we go, if you could maybe yeah. paint the picture of what the town the town of Cognac looks like and what it is to be there when you visit, because it is magical and it is extremely special, and not everyone gets to visit. Yeah, it's, well, yeah, so, I mean, the, the town center, I guess it's kind of built around this roundabout uh, with a statue of uh, François Premier there, and then the, you off that, you've got these like, couple pedestrian streets, and then uh, there actually aren't that many Cognac houses in Cognac, in the town of Cognac itself. Um, there's a, a couple that have their visitor centers, but of course, most of it um, is around that area you know, around in the surrounding areas, you know, um, like Gonzac and Jarnac and other places like that. But, um, and you'll see like fields of, you might see some sunflowers. And of course you see like beautifully manicured, you know, grape vines for, you know, kilo, kilometers and kilometers. And it's um, just, you know, yeah, just very picturesque. And, uh, but the actual, uh, of course, and then you've got the Charente River, right? Which is, of course, hugely important. We didn't even talk about that river, but that was a gateway in and out of Cognac. And then on the other side of the river, you have, um, you know, many more developments. You've got the wonderful Bar Luciol, which is a wonderful cocktail bar. And um, so, 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 yeah, that's, that's kind of it. The actual the town itself is <laughs> quite small, but um, the town center, I should say. But then, yeah, once you start driving out, you'll see, you know, that's when all the excitement starts, really, yeah. so. Oh, it's such a and charming the, place. It, to yeah. me, it looks like something out of a, like, out of a fairy tale book. Yeah, definitely, with all those, yeah, for sure, all the stone homes and, and the, those magical, like, yeah, farmhouses and that kind of thing. It really is, 
really is beautiful. I know. I miss it. Yeah, at Bordeaux and the drive-in from Bordeaux. and But most people might get off the train. They get off the train in Angoulême, mm-hmm. you know, and that's uh, a nice drive as well. So That's beautiful. Yeah. What do yeah. you think is next for the for the category? Where do you what do you think is next? Um, definitely um, more. I see more innovation happening, uh, more experimentation, and I I think that. Well, I think that there are you know there are conversations about you know which I shouldn't say which way to go, but about kind of perhaps the not quite loosening of regulations, but perhaps changing to reflect the times. Um, And I think there'll be more transparency because uh, consumers, um, whether they're bar professionals or other are demanding it, you know, as with everything else these days, you know, people want that transparency. So, um, you know, I think, so yeah, I can see that. And again, just the kind of, I think a lot of the larger brands are paying attention to what's, what's happening, you know, around the world and like in other categories. And I think we'll see, um, like I said, more of a move to um, kind of change with the times, you know, I don't, I don't see Cognac being stodgy uh, uh, as there's kind of been this perception. So I, I see that like innovation and, and you know just more sales you know the sales are are just going up they've continued to go up around the world i don't see that stopping and um and and more of the younger younger expressions being exported as well that's already happening you know there's a time when it was mostly exo um but now that's that's shifted as people see that they can drink cognac day to day so i i see that yeah Yeah. i Mm -hmm. agree so i am going to put you on the spot uh oh! Uh-oh. I know. I'm uh, not going to. I'm not going to tap dance because we only all, you all only only hear us. You don't see us. Maybe if you saw us, I would kick back my chair and move my my dog out of the yeah. way. But I do know that you have quite the voice, Miss Frankie. Uh oh. Would you be willing to just sing a couple bars of your favorite French song to take us? <laughs> Well, first of all, I want to say that, you know, we did at a Tales, I think it was 2000 and should I even say what year? Was yes. It? Yes. I think I, it was 2011. It was a hundred years ago. Yes. yes. <laughs> well, we were just, you know, um, that we were on stage. I did sing and you did a tap dance in really like short shirt, kind of like short shorts a la Rockettes. And yes. uh, that was pretty amazing. So Bridget Albert does tap dance. And I do. So next next time you see her on a wooden floor, please just just say, dance, lady, dance. And I will. (laughs) I'll do a time step for you. Right? On any floor. She'll definitely be standing on a floor. So just any floor. Um, All right. So let's see. Okay. Um, And I have to say, it's a little chilly here, so I'm not warmed up, but. Okay. I'm totally putting you on the spot, but I thought, what what the hell? Et quand il me prend dans ses bras, il me parle tout bas, je vois la vie en rose. Il me dit des mots d'amour, des mots de tous les jours, et ça me fait quelque chose. Il est entré dans mon cœur, une part de bonheur, dont je connais la cause. C'est lui 
pour moi, moi pour lui dans la vie. Il me l'a dit, l'a juré pour la vie. Alors, il est Merci right. beaucoup, madame. Merci, Merci beaucoup. <laughs> no, on a serious note, thank you, thank you so much for inviting me here. It's really been a privilege and an honor to speak to you. Thank you so much for asking all these great questions. And it's been really wonderful. And it's lovely to see. You can't see, but uh, Bridget Elf's beautiful blue eyes are like stunning me through my, <laughs> my screen right now. I can barely, I can barely <laughs> watch everything. <laughs> So. Thank you for being so amazing and so gracious for coming on the show, Frankie. I hope that you come back. I hope I, this is not the first time I speak with you. That you I, come back and we will tap dance and sing our way through cognac. Exactly. Come hell or high water, hopefully right. in 2021. <laughs> and, I, and I do want to wish you great health and peace and to please stay safe, my friend. Likewise, likewise. Thank you so much. You said it eloquently. I'll just say right back at you. Thank you so Thank you. much. <laughs> Merci beaucoup. Merci, um, madame. Au revoir. Merci. À la prochaine. Au revoir. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers!